0: You've heard me tell this this give this illustration before I want to give it to you again tonight. I want it to bring my chocolate milk with me, and I forgot it, but I want you to just y'all know how to make chocolate milk, don't you i, I you know we don't just all buy it at the grocery store ready made some of us make it at home and and if I brought a glass of white milk up here in a clear glass for you I, that that would be you would. Do you have a picture of that in your mind right now? Just a big glass of white milk. And and then I had a big old jar of Hershey syrup in the other hand. And that white milk would be be symbolic of you and I and our life before Christ. Before we knew him as our Lord and Savior. Before we were following him. Before we had given our life to him. That white glass of milk is our life without Christ. Now, if I took that, that chocolate milk and I dumped it, are that chocolate syrup, and I dumped it in that glass of white milk. Are you picturing it with me? that chocolate syrup would would go into the milk, but it would probably most likely just sink to the bottom of the milk, okay? It would still be chocolate milk. The chocolate would be in the milk, and that's symbolic of Christ, us receiving Christ as our Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit coming to dwell within us. Who knows that when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residency within us. The Word says that he will come and dwell within us, and he does that, through the person of his Holy Spirit living within us. Are you with me? That's where most of you are. But there is something completely different about having a glass of white milk with Hershey syrup in the bottom and taking a big old and spoon and stirring that thing up and getting all the tasty stuff stirred throughout that milk. There's a big difference, isn't there? And when the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you, you can choose to live unstirred. Or you can choose, Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gifts that were given to you with the laying on of my hands. What he's saying is stir the chocolate milk. Stir it up. And it's my prayer that this series on the Holy Spirit, by the time we end, you will be stirred. And the tasty stuff will be coming to the surface. And people are going to be able to taste of the Christ in you like they've never tasted of him before. That you will indeed not just be the fragrance of Christ, but people will be coming to you saying, what is it about you that's changed? You say, well, Rhea, I've always had the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, there is something completely different between having him and allowing him to empower and equip you. Throughout the, whole, throughout the Old Testament, we see over and over scripture that says, and the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon. And the Holy Spirit came upon who you know, whoever came upon him in power. <laughs> Can I tell you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power, you will know it. You'll know it. And I'm just going to be bold enough to say that by the time we're done with this series, you're going to know it. You're going to know it. I believe that there's an equipping that takes place, that needs to take place in a Christian's life, and we're going to see that. We're going to see that in this series. I believe it with all of my being. But, but like I said, I want to jump into it. I want to give you, uh, I want to hit the gifts right away. I want to do all that with you, but I'm not going to because there are just some things we need to look at before we can get to that place. So bear with me. This week as I was seeking the Lord and I was asking him uh, what, what it was that he wanted me to teach this week, I really felt like we needed to talk a bit about unbelief. Because you can, you can hear me teach on the Holy Spirit all you want. You can hear me uh, talk to you about the gifts. We can do some so, some spiritual inventories. We can do all of that fun stuff. But I'm going to tell you, if you have doubt and unbelief in your head about the power of God in your life and his ability to, 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 to rule and reign in your life, if you have doubt and unbelief about his ability to, for his power to be displayed in your life, for, if you have doubt and unbelief about what he can do and does he mean what he says he means, you're going to still be powerless, even if that Holy Spirit is living within you. And so tonight, I just want to take a little bit of time to look at that before we move on any further uh, in, into this series. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Brooke Potter says, the fight of faith is to believe what Jesus says about you is true when everything in the natural says it's a lie. To fight the fight of faith is to believe that what Jesus says about you is true, even when everything in the natural says it's a lie. Can I tell you that faith doesn't look at the natural? It believes in the supernatural. We have a supernatural God, and so often we fall short of really uh, the place of belief that he wants us in because our eyes are fixed on the natural and not on the supernatural. Do do you know that? I love the story of of, of, uh, Lazarus and his sisters, uh, Mary and Martha, and and the word says that Lazarus was sick and he was dying, and, and they sent word to Jesus. And Jesus sent word back with the messenger, and he says, tell them that this sickness will not end in death. And by the time the the messenger got back to Mary and Martha, what had happened? Anybody know? He had died. And so the, the last, I can just picture this taking place. I can picture that messenger coming back to Mary and Martha. And you see, they had seen Jesus heal the sick. They had seen Jesus raise the dead. They, they, they knew what Jesus was able to do. And they had seen him do it for perfect strangers. And now in their time of need, they send for him. They, they want his help. They believe he's able. And they send a message. The one you love is sick. And, and he sends a message back because he's going to delay two more days. And, and he sends a message back, and he says, tell him the sickness will not end in death. So can you imagine that messenger trucking back into town and Mary and Martha waiting for him and, and them saying, where is Jesus? And and the messenger looking at a dead Lazarus laying there and just saying, you know what, um, I, 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 what did Jesus say? I, I don't know. What did he say? T- tell me what Jesus said. And, and him saying, well... He said this this sickness, it's not going to end in death. And can you imagine Mary and Martha looking at a dead Lazarus laying in front of him and saying, yeah, I'm sure he means what he says. So much for Jesus and his word. And so what did they do with the dead Lazarus? They take him and they bury him. Jesus said, did he not... This sickness will not end in death. And it's that point that we look at the natural, and the natural says one thing, and the supernatural is saying another, and we have a choice. What are we going to believe? Mary and Martha chose to believe a dead Lazarus. They chose to believe the natural, and they buried him. I just want so badly for that story to change. I want Mary and Martha to be in a place where they say, I'm not moving. Jesus said this sickness was not going to end in death. We are staying right here. I don't care how stinky he gets. I don't care how many flies come. We are waiting for Jesus because Jesus gave us a word and we are going to choose to believe his word over this natural thing. Do you not want the story to end like that? I, that's what I want, and, but it doesn't. <laughs> they bury him. And Jesus trucks into town a little later on, and, and he says, show me where, where you laid him. And you know the story. He raises him from the dead. Lazarus comes forth, and it's a good, it's a good story. But I wish that ended different. And yet I can. it's easy for me to look at Mary and Martha and say, Jesus gave you a word. Why didn't you believe it? When I sit in the same place and Jesus has given me a word, and I'm just going to be honest with you, sometimes I don't believe it. Sometimes I look at the natural and I say, I, I know that you said this, Lord, but look at this. Look at this situation. If I'm holding your word up against it, it looks pretty hopeless. And it looks like, you know, my reality is pretty convincing, Lord. But can I just tell you that God is not limited to your reality. The reality might be that Lazarus is dead, but God was not limited to their reality. And that's what faith is. Faith is saying, I am persuaded. I know whom I have believed in, and I am persuaded that he is able. Are you persuaded that he is able? That's my question for you tonight. You see, we can talk all we want about how we know Jesus. Uh, you can quote me the scripture inside, outside, and backwards. Some of you have more scripture memorized than I do, and you know it. It's, it's up here in your head, but it hasn't gone to your heart yet. You aren't persuaded that he is able yet. You can hang it on the refrigerator all you want. You can put it on your bathroom mirror. You can keep it in your pocket. You can have your little memory cards. But I'm going to tell you what, until you get to the point where you are persuaded, that word isn't going to do you any good. And I can stand up here and I can teach you about the power of the Holy Spirit in your life but if you don't lock that with some faith if you are not absolutely persuaded that when he says to you here are the gifts of the Spirit at work in your life and you are able to say I am persuaded that he knows what he's talking about I am persuaded that I might not feel it but he says this is a gift he's going to give me and I'm going to begin to step out in it. He says that I have the power to lay hands on the sick and they're going to recover. He says that he's given me the ability to cast out demons. He says that that I can I can pray for uh, for the dead and they'll rise. I'm going to tell you, I believe everything in me. Ask my man, he will tell you everything in me believes that. Everything. I am persuaded. I'm just silly enough to believe that he is able. I'm persuaded. I'm persuaded. And that is the point that we must get to if we are going to be fearless warriors for him. Are you persuaded that he is able? Do you believe what he says? Can you look at the natural and see something that's, that's contradicting everything that he says he will do? And will you make the decision to choose to believe him? You see, that's the crossroads that we have to come to in life. Am I going to re- re- believe the report of man, or am I going to believe the report of God? Mark chapter 16, I'll begin reading in verse 14. We talked about this passage a bit last week, but I want to pick up again. Now remember, he, he's, Jesus has risen from, from the dead. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. She went and told some people. They didn't believe her. He appeared to two other people on the road. Uh, They didn't believe her. They didn't believe him. And then they went and they told it to the rest, but they didn't believe them, verse 13. And now in 14, the word says that Jesus came and he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, "'Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will, fun- will follow those who believe,' In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Soon then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. I love that he sat down because, you know, you know anywhere that you see him sitting down, it's a finished work. He's done. He's, there's nothing left to do. It's all done. It's finished. Can I tell you that it's a finished work? It's a finished work. Everything you and I need for life and godliness has been given to us. All the power that we need has been given to us. It's a finished work. The word says that he sat down at the right hand of God and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. That word, the Lord working with them, that little phrase means he put forth the power together with them. So in other words, they went out and did it, he gave the power. (laughs) Doesn't that take all the pressure off of us when we know that all that we need to do is do what he says. You go do what I say, I'll give the power. I'll put the power forth for you, you just do it. I always tell the team on, oh, on Monday nights when we pray, I always remind them that we are simply a copper pipe. In my basement, well, when the Lord told me that, I was on my treadmill in my basement, and, and he had me look up above my head, and up above we have an unfinished basement, and our, our, there were copper pipes all throughout our basement, and, and the copper pipes just carry the water or whatever it is they carry through my house. They, they really just sit there and do nothing. They are just the, the, the conduit. They are, they are the, 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 the thing that carries the water through. And you and I are copper pipes for the Lord. We don't have to strive. We don't have to work. We simply have to do what he tells us to do and trust that he is going to put the power forth through us to do what he's called us to do. We are the copper pipes. Doesn't that take all the pressure off of us? I don't have to worry when I lay hands on Cheryl and pray for her healing because it's not me. I'm the copper pipe. I'm simply doing what he's told me to do. And together with him, that that verse says, in other words, it says he'll put the power forth through me to heal her because he's told me lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Not they might. See, tradition The church has has convinced us over time, well, maybe they will, maybe they won't. No, I'm sorry. I'm going to argue with that one until I'm blue in the face. The Lord God does as he pleases, but I'm telling you what he's told me to do. He said lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I'm not, I, I'm not arguing with God. You see, what we do is we, we let doubt and unbelief come in there and we say, wait, I'm going to agree with the world that maybe that might not happen. I'm going to agree with the enemy who whispers, are you crazy? He, this person might not get well, and what's going to happen then when you pray for them and you've made them think that maybe God might heal them? I am not about to come into agreement with those kind of reports. I am going to say, Lord, what did you tell me? Oh, you told me I should lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You told me you're the great physician. You told me you're God and nothing's impossible for you. You told me you're Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. You told me that that we don't have because we don't ask and I'm asking, Lord. You see, we've got to decide which report we're going to believe. So the word says that they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming his word. Oh, aren't you so glad he confirms his word through us? Confirming the word through the accompanying signs and wonders. I want you to look at that passage. Look in verse 14. The word says that Jesus came and appeared to the disciples. This just makes me chuckle. They're all sitting around in a room. Uh, There are really, it says 11, but we'll find out later that that Thomas was missing. And so it was 11 because he was was talking about the disciples as a whole. But in John, it says that Thomas was missing at that point. And, And so a week later, Jesus came back and appeared to them again, and Thomas was there. But, but so Jesus, they're all sitting around and they're eating, they're reclining, and you know how they were reclining in Bible times, how they ate, they would put their arm out and their legs would be laid down on the floor, they would be reclining and eating. And so picture that in your mind, I can imagine the conversation that they're having, because remember, Jesus is dead, they've just seen him be crucified, now, they do have some report from Mary Magdalene saying that, that, he's, that's, that he's been raised from the dead. But you see, they watched him die. And, and we know this story. <laughs> and it's easy for us to say, no, Rhea, he, he's, he has been resurrected. No, remember, they watched him die on a cross. They, they, they knew he was dead. He was done, over, finished. And now Mary Magdalene, you know, she did have demons, and Jesus did cast them out of her. And so really, did he really, did he really, you know, is he really alive, or is that Mary in another one of her fits? I mean, don't think for a second they didn't think that. And so they're all sitting around the room. And they're eating, and, and I, I bet their conversation, I would have loved to have been there because they're disappointed. We know they're disappointed because one of the gospel writers say that, that, that Peter came back and he said, I'm just going fishing. I, I, I'm so disappointed. I don't even know what to believe anymore. I thought Jesus was this, and, and I thought he was, huh. I, had, I had great confidence in him, and he said he'd do this, and, and I don't even know what to believe anymore. I'm going fishing. That's what he said. I'm going to go return to the life I knew before all this. I'm going back to what's comfortable. <laughs> I'm, going <back> to, <laughs> I'm going back to what I know. I'm going fishing. And so we know they're discouraged. We know they're, they feel disillusioned. We know they're disappointed. We know they're probably full of sorrow. Their friend is dead. They don't know what to think. They don't know if if they're going to get persecuted as well. They don't know what is going on. And they're sitting around in this room, and I can just imagine the conversations. I can imagine the complaining. I can imagine the woe is me. I can imagine the whining. And, And in the midst of that, all of a sudden, the word says, Jesus appeared to them. And that word appeared, it's not just a knock on the door, hey, it's Jesus, can I come in, kind of appear. The word appeared means to be made manifest. Oh, Mm. to be manifested, visible, to make apparent. Oh, can I just tell you the thing that I want you to do more than anything in the world throughout the this, this study of this, this series that we're doing is you need to give me your word that you will pray daily. I want you to pray daily. Put it on your steering wheel. Put it at, uh, uh, on your garage door going out into the garage. Put it someplace where you will be often that you'll see it. Put a note and say, pray for God to be made manifest in a new way. Pray for him to be made apparent to me. Pray for him to be made visible to me. Lord, (laughs) your word says that you made yourself manifested before those disciples. Would you do that for me, Lord? Father, your word says that you became visible to them. Would you become visible to me? I don't mean, oh, there's Jesus. How you doing, buddy? I just mean... Can I see you in a way I've never seen you before, Lord? Will you just will you just reveal yourself to me in a way you've never revealed yourself to me before? You see, that's what happened to them. He became manifest right there in his presence. And I believe that the problem with us today in the church is, is we're going through the motions of religion. We're going through the motions of, of, of what we've always known and believed about God, and we haven't had a visitation from him. You see, there's a whole there's a whole lot of difference. Oh, we talk about visitation. I used the wrong word there. Here's what I really want to use. The word says that he came and he lived within me. That's habitation. And we pray for a visitation. (laughs) Lord, can I just see you? He lives within you. (laughs) He lives within you. Dave and I live together. We're husband and wife. But there are times, he just said to me the other night, Ria, I feel like I never get to see you anymore. (laughs) Somebody can be living with you. And you never see him anymore. The busyness of life takes over. I wonder how many of you are in that place tonight where Jesus lives within you. His Holy Spirit lives within you. You visit him on Sunday morning, but really the habitation thing has a lot to be desired yet. Lord, I want to see you like I've never seen you before. Will you make yourself apparent in my life? Will you make yourself visible in my life? Will you let me see you, Lord, in a new way? Outside my box, if necessary, Lord. Will you make yourself apparent in my life? The word says that Jesus appeared to them. Can you just imagine what must have happened? They're thinking he's dead. Now he's alive. But how? I mean, we know this story, it's familiar. Sometimes when things come, become familiar, it loses its punch. He appeared to them in the middle of the room. No knock on the door, no turn the door handle, he appeared to them. Can you imagine what they must have thought? And the word says, here's what I want you to see. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. Oh, that that, that just gets to me. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart as they reclined at the table. I love, I love, I don't think there's any coincidences in the word of God. I love that they were reclining at the table. (laughs) I love that that's the, the verbiage that they use there because I think sometimes reclining is comfortable, isn't it? Reclining is at ease. It's it's relaxing. And sometimes I think we can be at ease in our unbelief. Sometimes I think we can be comfortable in our unbelief. Sometimes I think we just have been in that place for so long that it's just comfortable for us. Can I tell you, wake up, oh sleeper? It is not a place of comfort, it's a place of powerlessness. And he comes to them as they're reclining at the table and he rebukes them for their unbelief. And that word rebuke is a really, really, really strong word. Because you see, Jesus had told them that he was going to raise from the dead. He had told them that. And you see, when he tells us something, he wants us to believe him. Anybody with me? How are you even as a human when you tell your friends something? Do you not want them to believe you? Do you mean what you say? Now, what if they said to you, I don't know if I can believe you? I'm really going to dismiss that because I don't think you're trustworthy, and I'm not going to believe you. Now, how would that make you feel? And yet, that's what we do to Jesus all the time. He had told his disciples he was going to die, but he'd be back. (laughs) And now here they were. They were even told he he had risen again, and and they doubted it. They didn't believe the person that told them. And that person was a reliable person. And I'm telling you, we have a reliable account right here, and yet we don't believe it any more than they did. And the word says Jesus rebuked their unbelief. That word rebuke is, is is a strong, strong word. It means to reproach, to rail at, to... To chide, to upbraid. The word upbraid there, it means uh, to speak in an angry or critical way. You say, well, Jesus wouldn't do that. Look up the word. He was not happy. I, I see Terry's here tonight, and my, my friend Terry is, is the, the um, uh, head coach of the Marquette women's basketball team. And, and I, I text her right before I came. I said, Terry, tell me something. Tell me when your team is going out to play and they play a bad game, do you ever go back to them and say, here's where you made the mistakes? Oh, she said, yeah. Sometimes we have film that we'll go over the next day, and, and, and I'll point out this is what you did wrong, and this is what needs to change. And then she said, and then I'll put them back out on the court, and we'll go over what I had just said to them, and we'll make sure they get it right. But she said, Rhea, I never, ever, ever... I want to get the, the, ver- the words right because she said it so well. I was like, I'm going to use that. I have to, I, have to, I have to use this. This is so good. She said, I never paralyze them with too much correction. She said, I want them to feel success. I said, well, Terry, do you ever get firm with them? Oh, she said, trust me, I get firm with them. She said, if I give them, oh, this is good. Listen to this. She said, uh, "It's my job to make them better, and false praise or telling them everything is all right all the time will make them emotionally and mentally soft." I just had to chuckle because that's Jesus here. He is getting ready to go back up to heaven now. What are the last things that I want to leave you with? When my mama died, she had some last things she wanted to leave her children, with her children. She called every one of us to her bedside, and she made sure she had a message for every one of us. They were her last words, and she chose them carefully. And these were going to be Jesus' last words to his disciples. He was going to be taken up to heaven. And the word says that he rebuked their unbelief. I've got to choose my words carefully. I've got to make this count. If I'm going to correct you, I don't want to paralyze you. I, I don't want to paralyze you with that correction. But I've got to make sure that you understand that your unbelief when I was hanging on that cross was costly. It took you someplace you didn't want to go. It made you powerless. And so I'm going to rebuke you, and I'm going to choose my words carefully, because you've got to know, you've got to know what that unbelief is costing you. And we get another shot at this game. So let me replay the tape for you, and let me show you where you went wrong. Because we're going to win this game, so I just got to show it to you. Let me replay this one with you. And I'm not going to give you any kind of false praise, because it's going to make you why your heart's hard because we live in a society that says oh that's okay you don't need to trust God he understands yeah he does Terry says I don't give him false praise (laughs) because (laughs) it'll make him mentally and emotionally soft can I tell you I would challenge that Terry I think it probably makes them mentally and emotionally hard. I think it's what's happened in the church. We really dismiss everything we've been taught. We read and and study this word, but we really don't ever really apply it to our life. We don't really say, wait a second. The natural says this, but the supernatural says this. I think I'll choose the supernatural, even though it's super-duper power-trooper hard to believe in the midst of everything I can see with my eyes. But you know what? I'm going to choose to believe God. How often do we really say that? I got this bad report, this bad medical report, but God says this thing. My, my meta report says this thing. I'm going to choose to believe God. No, we go into a panic. We go into a tailspin over the bad report. My son's addicted. My, my, my child is is off on a prodigal run. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose sleep and stay awake all night and, and worry myself sick, or I'm going to choose to believe God. My checking account is in the red and and I hate my job and my my boss is nasty and 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 I I have myself just worked up into a tizzy. Or I'm going to choose to say, I am the head and not the tail. I'm above and never beneath. I am a lender and not a borrower. And I am surrounded with favor like a shield. Which report are you going to believe? But you know what happens? This is the report we believe. And we're, in a, we're surrounded with, with a society that says, oh, God loves you. He'll take care of you. You don't have to believe he means what he says. And... He is upbraiding and chiding and rebuking his disciples because of their unbelief. Do you know how it makes me feel when somebody doesn't believe I mean what I say? In the business that we're in, we make commitments to people a couple years out that we say we'll be there at such and such a time to speak at your event. We get asked all the time, do you have a contract? (laughs) No. We just believe you mean what you say. (laughs) You don't have to sign a contract that we'll hold you to. You don't have to make a deposit. We'll be there and we believe that you'll have us there when you say He means what he says. Can I remind you who he is? He's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. The Bible says that it's impossible, absolutely impossible for him to lie. The Bible says that his word is forever settled in heaven, that it's yea and amen to those who believe. (laughs) Why is it so easy for us to believe another report than to believe a word that's forever settled in heaven than to believe the word from a God who cannot lie. It's impossible for him to lie. I know this is elementary. I know that some of you are like, Ria, this is kindergarten teaching. I think it's Paul that says, I know you already know this, but I'm going to tell you again. In other words, I'm going to keep telling you till you get it. And maybe you already got it, but I didn't. So I'll just keep preaching it to myself then until we get it. But, but we've got to get this. Do you see how important this is? He rebuked them for their unbelief. That word, this is what just got me. The word unbelief means untrustworthy. It means to put no confidence in. It means to disbelieve. It means to be unfaithful, to doubt or to not acknowledge. Oh, I wonder if there's ever been anyone in this room who's been cheated on by a spouse. How does it make you feel when you find out they've been unfaithful? It comes from the root, means not worthy of confidence. It denotes one who disbelieves the gospel of Christ. Those who refuse to believe the gospel. It shows that someone cannot be trusted. They're not able to be trusted. <laughs> it's the state of not being loyal. You have no idea how much that grieved me when I read that. He rebuked them because of their unbelief, because they were looking at him and they were saying, you're not able to be trusted. I'm not going to believe that you mean what you say. You see, unbelief, it's rooted in mistrust. It says that you're not worthy of my trust, Lord. It rips on the character of Christ. It says, Jesus, I don't believe I can trust you. Your word says that you are faithful, but I don't believe I can trust you. You're not worthy of my trust, and so I'm going to choose to believe another report than your word. He rebuked them because of their unbelief. Because they were saying to him, essentially, Lord, you can't be trusted. Oh, church, we can't trust a God who says he's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. We can't trust a God who promises that it's impossible for him to lie. We can't trust a God who says, ask and it will be given to you. (laughs) He rebuked them because of their unbelief And their hardness of heart. Oh, the hardness of heart. What have we talked about the heart being? Come on, tell me. Your heart is your mind, will, your emotions. He rebuked them because of the hardness of their heart, the callousness of their heart. My daughter, Christy, uh, when she was a little girl, she loved to do the monkey bars. Uh, anybody with me? Am I really probably, I don't even know if they have monkey bars anymore at playgrounds, but, but, but she loved to do monkey bars. She was like a little monkey. She'd just fly across those monkey bars. And, But when, when she first started, she has these little tender, sweet little Uh, hands her skin is so soft and when she first started going across the monkey bars or especially like in the summer right in the spring when it just you know after a hard winter and she hadn't been outside and she would go out in the spring and she would get on the monkey bars and her little hands were so tender what would happen well before the callus what would happen blisters and bleeding and, and I would say oh Christy honey don't do that and she's like I love it and, and, and I know it hurts but I love it and she'd go back out the next day and she'd get back on those monkey bars and so after a period of time now what happens she builds up calluses and what would happen is her, her soft little tender skin he, these calluses she, you could literally take a needle and stick into those calluses and she wouldn't even feel it he rebuked them because of the callousness of their heart you could stick a needle in her callous and you would; she would not even feel it he could prick you with his spirit and we don't even feel it because we've turned him away time after time after time we've turned a deaf ear to his word time after time after time and he rebuked them because of their unbelief and their hardness of heart almost every day I say to the Lord Lord, search me. If there's any hardness in my heart, soften it, Lord. I don't want a hard heart. I don't want a hard heart. He rebuked them because of their unbelief and their hardness of heart. It wasn't just unbelief. It was stubborn unbelief. They had been told over and over that He he had appeared to people, that He was risen, and they kept not believing it over and over. They refused to believe. It was stubborn unbelief. Scripture clearly says that without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. I want you to look what He says next. He says, it's just so, it's so uh, awkward here. Look at how, what he says. He rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Do you, do you not see how that, that's a hard transition there? He rebukes them and immediately says, now go into the world and preach the gospel. And then he says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will will follow those who believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons, and they'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. They'll drink deadly poisons, and it won't hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. You see, he's rebuking them for their unbelief because he knows he's about to send them into all the world, and he wants them to get it straight. You see, your your feelings, your heart, your will, your emotions have betrayed you when I was hanging on that cross, and I want to make sure that we get this clear. I want to make sure that you understand how important it is for you to believe because I am sending you out to preach, to proclaim, to herald the good news, and you're going to get some stuff. Trust me with this one. <laughs> Lester. we get some stuff. When I herald, when I proclaim, I've had to get tough as nails because I'm telling you, people look at me. Do you see any reason that they should? They look at me and, like, she is bizarre. She is, she is way out there he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. This is going to get harder, guys, and if you are willy-nilly over this, what what's going to happen when you come under persecution? So you need to get this straight. You need to make up your mind. You need to get resolute in what you believe. That you believe I'm with you like a mighty warrior. You believe I'm for you and not against you. You believe that greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. You got to make up your mind right now which team you're on and what reports you're going to believe because when I send you out there to herald to claim to preach to every creature not just the fun ones to every creature you got to know what you believe and you got to be persuaded that the one you're believing in is able and, and here's, the, here's the good news, he said, that if you believe you'll be saved, and that word saved, it, oh, it's so much better than just saved. You see, we believe we'll be saved from hell and go to heaven, but, but it's so much stronger th- than, than just that. I wanna, it means to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or injury. <laughs> Can I tell you, when you choose to believe this over the world and their standards, you'll be kept safe and sound. And then he says, and these are the signs and the wonders that are going to follow you. And if you're struggling, when I say to you that I'm going to, ra- I'm going to be raised again, that I'm coming back, and you have trouble believing that, when I tell you that signs and wonders are going to follow you, you're going to have trouble with that. So you've got to make up your mind right now what you believe. Do you believe me when I say signs and wonders are going to follow you? Leslie, can you find that? Do you have your iPad? Can you find that little wave story for me? Can you get that? You've got to make up your mind right now what you believe. Because signs and wonders are going to follow you, but, but it's not going to follow a heart full of unbelief. What are you going to believe? He says, I'm going to authenticate your ministry, but if you have trouble believing that I mean what I say, you're never going to believe that I'm going to authenticate you. They had to take a hard look at what they were believing. And so he rebuked them for their hardness of heart and their unbelief. Did you find it? Leslie's reading a book called um, Unlocking Heaven, Keys to Living Naturally Supernatural. And she read this story to me this weekend when we were in Alabama and It just rocked me. He said, I lived in Huntington Beach, California for several years, where I loved to bodyboard. I especially loved the thrill of catching a double overhead wave that had the potential of pounding the life out of me. I know that sounds demented, but there is no reward without risk. Oh, that's a good quote. There's no reward without risk. The higher the danger, the greater the rush. When I was first learning how to ride waves, I went out on a small four-foot day, I was having a lot of fun being thrown over the falls and crashing around in the churning white water. The water was only about shoulder high, so there seemed to be no imminent danger of drowning. (laughs) Then, without a warning, a rogue set set of waves came rolling in that looked looked like mountainous cliffs as they rapidly approached. My first instinct was to run, but since I was in water, I began to swim toward the shore. The current, however, began to pull me out toward the oncoming gargantuan waves, and immediately I realized that it was useless to try to escape. I turned around toward the ocean, and I began to paddle for all it was worth in an attempt to get over the first wave, measuring about 10 feet high. When you're on your stomach, 10 feet looked like 20. I got about halfway up the face of the wave when I realized that I was not going to make it. The powerful wave pitched me backward, causing me to land upside down in the water. Immediately, I was in the spin cycle, and I did not know which way was up. Furthermore, the impact of hitting the water with such force took most of my breath away. I could feel every muscle in my body tense up in response to the panic that I was experiencing. The wave was just relentless. Just as I would almost make it to the surface, the power of the wave would suck me back into the depths. It seemed like some invisible force was bound and determined to make me submit as it held me under the water. Full of terror, I continued to struggle with every ounce of energy I could muster. Breathless, I finally struggled to the surface, coughing up salt water and and gasping for air. As I looked up, I could not believe my eyes. Another wave, a little larger than the first, was coming fast upon me. I was now trapped in the impact zone. And before I could get a full breath of air, the next mountain crashed into me, sending me somersaulting into the bottom of the ocean that was now about ten feet deep. Once again, I struggled, feeling like a rag doll being shaken underneath the water. Once again, I came up gasping for air and coughing up the sea that had filled my lungs. Once again, another wave, larger than the last, pummeled me without mercy. This time, I could feel the air being pulled out of every blood cell in my body, and I knew I was going to die. In that moment, I remembered someone telling me that the best way to get back to the surface was by relaxing. Under the water, however, it seemed so unnatural to just rest while I was in such a perilous situation. Since I no longer had enough strength to fight my way to the surface, I decided to relax and accept the consequences. I also prayed, God, if you can get me out of this predicament, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Oddly enough, as soon as I relaxed, I could feel myself rising toward the surface, and I popped up, took two or three big breaths, and the set wave came crashing down on me throwing me into the spin cycle one more time. This time, instead of struggling for the surface, I simply rested, knowing that the air inside my lungs would float me to freedom. Sure enough, in just a few seconds, I was on the surface, but thoroughly exhausted from my my near-death experience. I finally made it back to shore, where I looked like a beach whale lying in the sand, still coughing up salt water. I have been in similar waves since, and while they're still intimidating, I have learned to relax, even though I'm sometimes tempted to fight my way through them. I have come to realize that my best effort is no match for the power of the sea. I often feel the same way when someone approaches me with an overwhelming physical disability that needs to be healed. In my desire to facilitate this seemingly impossible miracle breakthrough, I am tempted to work harder for what has already been provided through Christ's sacrificial work on the cross." During those times when I feel the need to perform, I have to remind myself to relax and let God's supernatural kingdom power work naturally through me. I don't know if you can get that with me reading it to you, but what he's saying is, rather than fight it, just relax and let the air in his lungs do the work. It's my copper pipe story. God said, just step out and do this. And instead of striving, instead of struggling, instead of worrying what will happen if it doesn't work, can you just relax and let the air in you, let the power in you do the work? What he was saying to his disciples is, this is a turning point. I'm ready to go. And and there's power coming from on high. I want you to tarry and wait for it. But, But we need to get some things clear before I go. Do you believe? that I mean what I say. Do you believe when I tell you power is coming from on high, it's gonna come? Do you believe when I tell you you're gonna lay hands on the sick and they're gonna recover? Do you believe it? Do you believe that that power can give you power to cast out demons, to raise the dead? Do you believe? And we are gonna start this series But we have got to make a decision before we do. Do we really believe him? Do we believe he's who he says he is? Do we believe that he'll do what he says he can do? Do we really believe that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives within us? That we don't need to struggle, that we don't need to strive, that we don't need to kick against the wave. All we need to do is relax and let his power flow through us. Change us. It's not about us. It's all about him. Everything we need for life and godliness has been given to us. I want to read one more scripture before I let you go. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. That's 1 Thessalonians 2.13. He says, For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. He's commending them for looking past the natural, For receiving God's word uh, from their lips, not as the word of man, but as the word from God himself. Like God himself is standing here tonight saying to you, you can pray for the sick and they will recover. Are you going to receive that as a word from Rhea or as it is, in truth, the very words of God? Because if you receive it as the very words of God and not as the words of man coming from Rhea, the word says it will powerfully and effectively be at work in you. That word effectively is is just amazing there. In in the original language, it means to be operative, be at work, to put forth power. Oh, he says when you receive it, if you receive it as the very words of God, that means to join yourself, to, to not to reject, to receive it. If you receive the words of this Bible right here, Not as the words of man, but as the very words of God. It will be operative. It will be at work in you. It'll change your life. And in 1 Thessalonians, he's he's commending them. He's saying, "Yea, for you, that when we preach the word to you, you didn't receive it as merely the words of man. You received it as the very words of God that so powerfully and effectively works within you. That's my challenge for you in the weeks and the months to come as we, as we start this series. Will you receive the word of God that's preached here? Not as the words of man. Will you look at it and take it seriously and say, Lord, you said this. You might have said it to your disciples. Here, I have such a hang-up with this because he, he, here's what you're going to say. That was for the disciples, Ria. Last time I looked, you were one. We'll touch on that. But will you receive it as his now word for you today? Lord, you want to give me power from on high? You really want me to lay hands on the sick and know they're going to recover. You you really want me to believe that prophecy still is at work today? Yes. You, You really want me to believe that you'll give a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge to me? Yes. You really want me to believe that I can preach with power? Yes. You really want me to believe that that there's a... Yes. Are we in for a ride or what? I'd hardly wait. I'd hardly wait. How many of you were here when Zoran was here a couple weeks ago? You know, he has nothing y'all don't have. Do, Do you understand that? He's not some s- special guy. Ed, my friend Ed is here tonight. Ed's got an incredible prophetic gift. Ed's no special guy. I love him to pieces, but he's no special guy. He is not like the hand picked one. You all have gifts that he wants to work in and through you. Aren't you excited? to see what those are? Aren't you excited to begin to walk in the power of that Holy Spirit living within you, to stir up that chocolate milk and bring the tasty stuff to the surface? What do you believe? Do you believe in God? Or do you believe God? That's my challenge for you. Remember, put the note on your refrigerator or your garage door or your car. Lord, manifest yourself to me in ways I've not seen before. Become apparent to me in ways I've not experienced before. I want you to be visible, Lord. Not a far-off distant God, but a God who's at work in my everyday life. Show me, Lord. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Father, I just thank you for every man and woman in this room. Lord, I thank you for the anticipation and the expectation, Lord that you're stirring in this place. Father, I pray that you continue that stirring. I pray that there'd be an excitement. I pray, Lord God, that you'd bring them back hungry for more. Lord, I pray that you'd send them even even this week, Lord God, that you'd you'd just send them on a hunt for more of you, Lord. I love that your word says that that you have hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places. Lord, I pray for treasure hunts this week. Lord, I pray that they begin digging in your word and that they would see truth like they've never seen it before, that they would come into the secret things of God. Lord, that they would make a commitment this week that they are no longer going to just be a fan cheering for Jesus from the sidelines, that they are entering the game. Lord God, that they are going to be the starting lineup. Lord, that they want to be the front liners. Father God, I pray that you just, you just instill such a hunger and a desire and a thirst after righteousness in them. And Lord God, I pray that you would take us deeper still. Lord, I thank you for the deeper still. Lord, I'm asking that it not be ankle deep. That they not be satisfied going knee deep, Lord God. I'm asking, Lord, that you take us in over our head. In over our head with you. Lord, I read this week about burning the plow. Slaughtering the ox. I'm not turning back. I'm going forward to the destiny and the purpose that you put before me, Lord. And there's no turning back. Lord, I pray that in every one of us you would instill that mindset. There's no turning back. I'm going in deep. I want the more of God. Oh, Lord God, rain, rain on us, I pray, in Jesus' name.